When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you. Time to begin another work week. Busy week last week for us. This week will be busy too, in some respects. National Signing Day, the traditional National Signing Day, will take place on Wednesday. And then uh, we'll add a few more pieces to the 2022 class. There will also be a couple of grants that are saved for post-spring transfers. A couple of things I want to say about that, too. The uh, There is a, this misconception about the uh, the annual 25 limit. You know, the NCAA mandates you can have 85 scholarship players per year, and then you can sign 25 new initial counters each and every year. Well, this year, because of the transfer portal, and we've had so many schools out there that have had – players enter the portal many of them will not find a landing destination they've allowed this year there to be an exemption that exceeds the 25 to kind of get back to the full 85 annual allotment so they have granted everybody the ability to sign up to seven so theoretically you could sign 32 provided you stay at 85 or lower the Mississippi State used one of their grants on Jameer Calvin, who was technically a blue shirt. What that means is that he did not go through any recruiting activity. We didn't bring him in for an official visit. We didn't uh, go out and have in-home visits with him. So he counted in fall camp, and then that gives you the ability to count backwards or forwards. If we'd had room in a 2021 class, he would have counted for them. But instead, he counts forward. So we can sign up to 31. Now, at this point, we don't have room in in the 85 to sign the full 31. You already got a bunch of guys in, you know, transferred, enrolled, signed. So we're going to sign a few. And then there will be a couple players leave between now and the end of the spring semester. You can say, well, Steve, how many more can we take? Well, that's just the life and times in which we live. It's not something that's just germane to Mississippi State. It's happening around the country. Doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong with your football program. Of course, we have some people that no matter what we do or how we do it, there's something going to be wrong no matter who the coach is, no matter how many games we win. I remember back in 2014 when we went to number one in the country. And some of the most spirited discussions were about the Mississippi State secondary. Oh, the secondary's this, and we've got miscommunication here, and Jeff Collins needs to do this. We were undefeated and ranked number one in America and number one in the FBS poll, and we still found some things to complain about. That's the life in which we lead, right? It's kind of how it works. And so when you go seven and five and you get you know, blown out in the ball game, there's going to be a lot more of that discussion. Uh, is Leach going to get it done? Or is there's this and there's that. And what about all these transfers? Are, you know, are kids unhappy here? Yeah, a lot of times kids get unhappy because they don't play. We talk about that on the show regularly. You only get a short time in life to play sports. Think about your own life. I'll be 50 this year if I live the July. 
When I look back over the grand scheme of my life, I have coached more than I have played. Many of you probably feel the same way. Watched a lot more sports than you ever participated in. So you only get a short time in life to play. That's for youth. We don't stay young long. And so you only get, you know, five years to play four on the college football level. And when you've already spent a couple of years at this school, say, you know what, hey, I hadn't played. And I look around the room and, hey, they've recruited some guys that are equal or more talented than me. Chances are I'm not going to play here. And you got to be honest with yourself. So, you know what, I, maybe I need to go somewhere else. It's not a personal thing. Sometimes we, we kind of make it that way. We kind of make it seem like, well, something's got to be wrong with us. I've got a little more self-esteem than that, I guess. I don't take it personally when people leave. Now, we've had some players leave that I really wanted to stay, Aaron Brule being one. Certainly hoped he would stay. Really like Aaron a lot. Wish him the best at Michigan State. Teddy Knox, that's a guy who was highly heralded as a recruit. Signs on with the Air Raid, red shirts this year. Played a little bit, but we really felt like he was going to be a difference maker in the offense, and he's left. But outside of that, you know, we've had a lot of guys leave that really hadn't produced. We've had several leave that never even played a snap. And again, it's not a personal criticism of them. Sometimes you get here and things just don't work out. It's not always anybody's fault. We do a lot of that, though. We spend a lot of time and effort trying to assign blame or motive. Sometimes things don't work out despite your best efforts. I remember um, we signed a wide receiver out of Dutchtown High School by last name of Shelby. I really liked him. Had a chance to go watch him play a couple times, played in the run-first offense, but when they needed to play, they threw it up to him. As a matter of fact, the other receiver on that team went to TCU. Shelby gets here and kind of moving along. Next thing you know, he tears an ACL, kind of loses the window a little bit. It's difficult to get those spots back. You know, once you're out of the rotation, everybody else is practicing and improving and catching the eye of their coaches. The next thing you know, you're finally healthy, but you're not at the same level of those guys. And ultimately, he transfers. It's nobody's fault. It's just life, living life on life's terms. We talk about that a lot on the show, too. I can't make it any better or worse than what it is. It just kind of is what it is. I know a lot of you guys don't like that phrase, but that's the truth. Sometimes things just don't work out. So, we're dealing with it, but uh, yeah, don't look for a lot of fireworks on, on Wednesday. And we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect later in the show on National Signing Day. There are other people out there that may have some big, uh, some big additions to their class you know, around the country. But by and large, the hay is in the barn. There's not a lot of big-time names left out there. There are a few, but not a lot. So don't expect a huge number of new signees on Wednesday. Matter of fact, a couple of guys that are going to be announced have already signed. How about that? If you've listened to the show for a while, you, you probably know who those are. We're going to talk about that again, the final segment of the show. But I think it's uh, you know it's interesting too to see how this is transformed. And one of the things we talked about, you know, on the show and on the Bo Bowen show and pretty much everywhere else last year, is that I suspected that we would see you know, the signing class of 2021 nationally fill up the transfer portal. You say, well, Steve, I don't understand why. Well, we couldn't take official visits in 2020. We couldn't do camps in 2020. So a lot of these players were picking a school based off a Zoom call and about their own uh, online research. 
you know, if you were able to go get in the car and go ride around and go look around a campus and kind of get to know a college town, but you didn't have the normalcy of the regular recruiting process. And so now we're seeing that come through. I'm not trying to claim I'm Nostradamus. I don't think it took a real genius to figure that out. But when guys make decisions that are not well-educated, and I'm talking about the decision, not the player, but when you don't have the ability to go through the full recruiting process, chances are you know, the risk of making a mistake when making your college decision increases exponentially. And so we're seeing some of these guys that signed on last year. They're like, hey, you know, now that I'm here, I don't know if this is the best spot for me. I mean, look at Jordan Mosley out of McGill-Tulin, just transferred to Mississippi State, went to Northwestern. He was a guy, too, you recall, that was committed to Tennessee much of the process. They make a big coaching change up there. They announced that there's an NCAA investigation, and he's like, I don't know that I want that. At the end, one of the only Power Five offers he had left was with Coach Fitzgerald in Northwestern. So he jumps on that, and that's a long way from home. Now he's headed back to the South. So the portal is a good situation for him, but again, it kind of gives him a chance to make you know, the wrong decision right. He made the best decision he could with the information that he had, you know, last year, gave it a shot, didn't work out, now he's headed south. But the reality of it is we're not done with that. We're going to see more guys that signed in 2020 go in the portal here in the next year or so. I still believe there has got to be some adjustments. Now, I know that a lot of coaches would like to see us go to a two-period transfer situation. There's not a lot of support for that at this point. There should be, but there's not. There is a lot of discussion, however, about signing national letters of intent for four-year transfers. Right now, they're not required to do that. And when you sign, of course, that ends the recruiting process. And when you look at, like, Marcus Banks is a good example. You know, Marcus Banks was set to commit to Miami, changed his mind, commits to Mississippi State. And then for about a week to 10 days there, he still had to listen to a lot of that stuff. You know, Miami continued. But, you know, to his credit and his mom's credit, they made a commitment. They honored a commitment. You know, there were some schools late that were uh, kind of on him a little bit. But I, I think a four-year transfer should have the ability to end the recruiting process whenever they want. Now, it's easy to just say, you know what, no, I'm not taking any other calls. But to bring some finality to it and also, too, to kind of know as a school to have something that's binding, that discussion is taking place to allow transfers to sign a national letter of intent. Right now, all they sign is the acceptance of the offer and then the financial aid package. And even that's not binding. It's not officially official until they enroll, you know, for classes. And then, of course, once they enroll, they can still transfer, but, of course, they'd have to sit out another year. But there needs to be, you know, some changes to name, image, and likeness and national letter of intent legislation as this transfer portal process evolves. We're not really up to speed just yet on this there are some things and you guys see it and you all talk about it that um they got to be some changes got to be some tweaks i don't think we should do a whole lot to inhibit the movement of student athletes i'm a firm believer and you know hey once you make a decision you, you stick with it and you try to make it work and sometimes it doesn't work out and there are some people that get a little adversity and they want to hit the portal and one of the things that i hear a lot is a lot of these um you know, waivers that are applied for, you know, about, well, you know, my feelings get hurt. And we, we package that up as mental health. 
you know, if that's the case, if I'm going to change a job or transfer or whatever or terminate a working relationship, whatever, every time somebody hurts my feelings, I'm going to be on the move all the time. At some point, I got to develop the skill set to say, you know what, hey, things aren't necessarily as I want them to be, but I'm going to stay the course and make the best of this situation. You know, there are no guarantees in life. Be sure and wear a helmet. But there have to be some changes in that respect. But there is some there is some support about kind of setting up the signed letter for four-year transfers. I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't come into play probably within the next year. I think that's how advanced that discussion probably is. You know, what my bigger concern with the transfer portal is, is like sometimes we want to coddle these players along and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what are we going to do now? There's no place for them to go. Well, I think that's a valuable lesson. Now, they're going to learn it, but perhaps the ones that go behind them will be the ones that learn from it. So, you know what, I'm going to place some some faith in somebody else's experience and say, you know what, hey, I might be lucky to be here. You know, everybody that thinks, well, I'm going to go in the portal and I'm going to be Joe Burrow. No, no, you're not. The reason we all know the Joe Burrow story is because it is so remarkable who's about to play in the Super Bowl. But Joe Burrow, of course, was kind of buried on the depth chart at Ohio State. And let's be honest, that guy wasn't killing it his first year at LSU. He wasn't. He was very average his first year at Louisiana State. The next thing you know, Joe Brady and those guys kind of get him going, and he has one of the most prolific seasons in the history of college football. But that's the exception rather than the rule. I'm not going to mention the player's name, but we had a player here from Mississippi State you know, that uh, elected to go in a transfer portal and uh, wanted all his information sent, you know, to Alabama and LSU and Tennessee or whoever, end up signing with an FCS school. And so we think, well, hey, now that I've got a couple years on the SEC level, maybe I can go to another SEC school. Well, those guys watch film of you too. You know, they didn't take you the first time. They're not going to take you the second time based on this, uh, you know, minuscule level of production. But we have these delusions of grandeur at times when we get a transfer portal and think, well, man, I'm going to get in the portal, and it's going to be great. I had a young man that reached out to me last year when he went in the portal. He was from Delta State. And the best thing that he could say about himself is that he had four years of eligibility. He goes, hey, can you help me? Will you do an article on me because I have four years of eligibility? Didn't play. Obviously, redshirted at Delta State was a late addition to their class and got up there and, you know, things didn't go the way that he wanted and I want to go get in the portal. And I think to myself, how is a guy that was not recruited out of high school that was very fortunate that Delta State provided him an opportunity to get a college education and you go get up there and you go through your first fall camp and you're like, hey, well, I'm not happy here. I want to get in the portal. Do you think a D1 school will take a look at me? Well, what in the world have you done? What has changed? You didn't get D1 looks out of high school. What have you put on film to improve your standing, to prove that you're a D1 player today? I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. And so there's a lot of that that goes on. That's why I think there's got to be greater education about the transfer portal. There's got to be something. There's got to be a cool-down period. There's got to be somebody, whether it be with the NCAA, with the universities themselves. There's got to be something to kind of explain what these young people are dealing with. Because a lot of people think going into portals the answer to all your problems. I remember something that I was told in an AA meeting years ago. It's always stuck with me. It said, no matter where you go, there you are. And to me, it took me, you know, some time to kind of figure that out. 
and say, well, yeah, of course, wherever I go, there I am. But the issue is, you know, all of my imperfections, you know, all of my character defects came with me. You know, sometimes a change in location is not the problem. Doesn't fix the issue. I got to fix me. Wherever I am, whether I'm at Delta State, Mississippi State, Mississippi Delta, I got to fix me. I got to go out there and be the best that I can be. And I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody's treated fairly around the world. They're not. They're certainly not treated well in college football at times. But the reality of it is, is there are a lot of people out there that think this is the key to the kingdom. Let me just go in a transfer portal and reboot things. And I listen, I, I think people should have the right to mess up their lives. I absolutely do. You know, especially once you get to be above the age of 18, you know, you ought to have the ability to reason a little bit. You know, and I don't think I should, we should ever stand in the way of somebody making themselves miserable. But again, I think when you get a little adversity in life, that's when you grow, not when you run. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I was in there last week, had those Sloppy Joe sliders, which are outstanding, served on the Hawaiian bun. Which sounds like, you know, it's, you hear Hawaiian, and, and you know, I, I don't know if they're the ones that discovered the, uh, the blending there, but it's outstanding. And it creates this interesting juxtaposition of taste. You know, the sloppy joe, kind of the, um, you know, the solid, hearty taste of the sloppy joe on that sweeter bun. It's outstanding. Go by and check it out. Be glad, you'll be glad you did. If you, and maybe if you want something a little more substantial, get that great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's called Bulldog Burger Company for a reason. Those guys know how to bring you a quality hamburger. Get the BLT salad, perhaps, if you want to have something a little bit lighter. You can get it frilled or grilled. Frilled, uh, frilled or grilled. Grilled or fried. Goodness gracious. Check them out today. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and of course a brand new in Lake Harbor Drive there in the Flowood Ridgeland area. Don't go in there and tell them that you want it frilled or grind. Don't, don't go, don't go do that. They're gonna look. At, don't tell them I sent you if you say that, you know. But enjoy Bulldog Burger Company. I always do. It's always a great experience. Great food, great portions at a great price. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, our top story: Mississippi State women's basketball wins again. I'm not gonna. We're, we're not gonna talk about Rakia Jackson on the show. Uh, she's no longer a member of the Mississippi State women's basketball program, and uh, we're gonna focus on who is here and what what is to come. I will note that uh, Mississippi State now four and zero in the SEC without Rakia Jackson lineup. Now, and I, as I mentioned last week on the show, that's not necessarily a criticism of her. I think at times we get a little bit too self self reliant on her. Well, now that she's not there. Now we got to shoot the basketball, and it's kind of opened up the door for some other players to step up and make plays, and that's what's happening. And so here's the end of the day. I mean, if you want to start a Rakia Jackson fan club, then you go right ahead and do that. My loyalty is to Mississippi State, and I don't say that again to be critical of Rakia Jackson. She has got to do what she feels is best for her, period. But I'm not going to sit around saying, well, what happened? It doesn't matter. It all means the same thing, gone. Wish her the best in her future endeavors. I have no ill will towards Rakia Jackson in my heart, uh, but my loyalty are these to these ladies that are wearing maroon and white representing this university. That's who we're going to talk about today. So, you know, since Rakia left, Mississippi State now 2-0, and and neither of these games have been close. 77-62 win over Missouri in Starkville and then a 78-58 shelling of Texas A&M. Now, 
A&M's not a great team. Missouri's a pretty good team. Got a pretty good test coming up uh, Thursday. A road game, be our first road game with the new look Bulldogs uh, against Auburn and Johnny Harris. And that's a game that we should win. But let's go ahead and look at this A&M game before we kind of look ahead. Mississippi State, I mean, really comes out with some juice. And then in the second quarter, really you know, created some separation. State wins the first quarter 17-12. A 13-point differential there in the second uh, State 41, was it 41-23 at the break? That gets it done. Third quarter, A&M makes a bit of a run, outscores us 22-17, and then the decisive fourth quarter, State 20-13. State wins 78-58, now 13-7 overall, and 4-4 four and four in the Southeastern Conference, A&M 11-9, 1-7 in the league. So you look at the records and say, yes, this is a team that we should have beat, and we beat them rather substantially. That should probably be the case. I still think we're a very talented team. You know, maybe I'm in the minority, but that's what I, I feel. And I feel like that we may be, again, a better team just because we have to share the basketball a little bit more. You know, before we could just say, hey, throw it to Rakia and she'll get us a basket. And sometimes, sometimes that disrupts the offensive flow. You know, I think now we're challenging other players to step up and make plays, and some are. And again, we talked about it, you know, in the big win over Missouri you know Kateri and Thompson you know she has been a role player for Mississippi State now she's in a starting lineup four of six from three we went nine of 13 from beyond the arc she's four of six remember she made seven against Missouri she has 12 points 35 minutes of action Anastasia Hayes pitches in 22 points in 39 minutes seven of 14 from the floor pulls down a couple rebounds and then hands out seven assists how about that you're talking about team basketball Bulldogs, 16 total assists, and six of those come from your point guard. Again, that's sharing the basketball. That's finding the easier shot. Jacalia Jordan appears to be rounding back into good health. 18 points for her in 33 minutes of action. And how about this? A cool, crisp eight of nine from the floor. Knocked down a big three, too. Pulled down nine rebounds. One of the better games in the uniform by Jacalia Jordan, for sure. Maya Taylor, uh, the young lady, just keeps going out there and leading 36 minutes, 4 of 9 from the floor. Knocked down a couple free throws. And that's another thing, too. State good at the line, 11 of 14. 11 of 14 from the line. And uh, Maya Paul, also two rebounds. Uh, Four personal fouls. Got in a little trouble there, but she's okay. Ten points for her. That's a pretty good stat line for her. Also had four steals. Handed out six assists. Uh, Danae Carter, that's really the story today, isn't it? Danae Carter gets banged up. Uh, has a knee injury, had to be helped from the floor, comes back with ice on the knee and on crutches. At this point, we don't know her prognosis. I'm confident they've done an MRI this morning, but we don't know her availability. We finally start getting her back, and then this happens. And again, she's an undersized five player, but she out-hustles people. 24 minutes of action, uh, did not score a point, but pulled down six rebounds, also had four block shots. So our concern, obviously, is with her. Not exactly sure kind of where things are. Raven Farley back, Farley back in action. Played just two minutes. Did knock down a basket. Picked up a couple of her personal fouls. But, uh, you know, going to need some minutes from her kind of moving forward. Charlotte Cole, of course, uh, 13 minutes. Did not score. Did pull down a couple rebounds. Mississippi State shot 58%. And then nearly 70% from three-point line. That'll get it done. And almost 80% from the free-throw line. You're going to put up those type of numbers, you're going to win a lot of basketball games. 
34 points in the paint for the Bulldogs, 14 off turnovers, just two second chance points. That's about offensive rebounding. Fast break points, 10 bench points, 16. The score was tied twice. Lead changed hands four times. None of that happened uh, after the first quarter. You hold the Aggies to 39.6% shooting, and they're 20% from three and under 70% from the free throw line. So in every statistical matrix, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mississippi State is more significant, especially on the school board. So let's kind of take a look at what is to come. Looking at this schedule, we're going to be on the road at Auburn. Now, that's a big one, you know, not because Auburn's a great team, but it's going to be emotional. Some of our players, I would say several, but that's not the case. We've had some we transfer. But some of our players have a relationship with Johnny Harris. And listen, we all love Johnny Harris. Johnny Harris is great. She is an awesome lady. They have not played well this year. They're dead last in the league at 1-8 and eight and 9-11 and 11, uh, overall. But she'll have them ready to play. Whether they can compete with us or not, I don't know. But this is a road game, so it's a test. Anytime that you play away from your home arena, it's one of those things, uh, you know, shooting percentages at times begin to dip. That's a big game for us. And then we're going to have a home game here against a team that's basically similarly situated with us. On Saturday, that's a 5.30 tip. That's the University of Florida coming in here on, on – uh, I guess we don't play the weekend, excuse me. So February 3rd, Thursday, is Auburn. We get the weekend off, and then we'll be Florida here. Now, Florida, 5-3 and three in the league and 15-6 and six overall. Basically, right where we are. That's a big game for us. Talk last week, we had a chance to go on the run. You expect to beat Auburn? And you got a good chance to beat Florida. That gives you four in a row. Got a chance to go four in a row and go six and four in the league. And then, of course, Ole Miss comes in. That's going to be a real challenge. The Rebels are playing well. If we play that we played this week, got a chance to win that game. We do. And we've got to play better in the post, no doubt about it. That's where I think the Nate Carter situation is is so interesting. You know, hopefully it's something minor and perhaps some rest will, uh, will, will be good for her. Maybe you hold right against Auburn. Maybe she's good to go against Florida. But the Ole Miss game, probably you look at it and say, hey, that's one of the more significant games left on the, on the schedule. Then we go to Kentucky. Kentucky has not played well. They're 2-6 and six and 9-9 nine and nine in the league. LSU here in Starkville. LSU, a much better team with Kim Mulkey, obviously. That's going to be a real challenge, too. 6-3 and three in the conference, 18-4 and four overall. Then we go to Columbia, Missouri, and you know they're not going to be blindsided. And that's a place that even some of Vic's great teams have gone up there and really struggled at Columbia. They turn out up there. And then we got to go to Tennessee. So that you know, that's going to be a, an interesting week. And then we close out the regular season, you know, with Arkansas here in the league. So you start doing some counting, okay? You start thinking, okay, okay, Steve, we're 4-4. Four and four. How can we finish? Well, we should beat Auburn. And I believe at home we've got a good chance to get Florida. So I'm going to pencil that in as a W, too. That makes you six and four. 
Ole Miss coming in, I'd love to win it, but if I'm being fair and not being a homer, Ole Miss is better than us. So that makes you six and five. You go to Kentucky. We've not we haven't played well up there, but they don't they're not as good as they have been. Let's count that as a dub. Make that seven and five. LSU really beginning to kind of get it together. Seven and six. I'm going to give LSU the win there. And then we're going to go to Missouri and Tennessee. Well, all of a sudden that makes you eight and seven. And you get Arkansas here. You got a chance to win that one. So, so let's say you finish 500 in the league. I think. That's probably the best-case scenario right there without a major upset. But if somebody told you beginning of the year, you know, you got a chance to post a winning record and to have at least a 500 record after a coaching change and then your your most prolific scorer leaving, you'd probably say, you know what, hey, I'll take it. Does that get you into women's NIT? I don't know. I don't even know if we should even play that. Probably should go ahead and, you know, get to work with the new coaching staff. But when you start looking at these numbers here, you say, hey, when you go eight and eight, that means you're 17 and 11 overall and eight and eight. We obviously, we had expected and hoped for a little bit better this year. But I think all things considered, I mean, goodness gracious, you know, Doug Novak might be in contention for the SEC Coach of the Year in some people's votes. You know, if you could find a way to get to 18, 19 wins, you might even have an opportunity to get in the tournament. But I think when you look at the What's left on the schedule, there are very much some winnable games for these ladies. And obviously, too, we're going to play some of the better teams in the conference as well. Uh, That's no no exaggeration by any stretch. I mean, LSU and Tennessee are kind of becoming LSU and Tennessee again. So, credit to Doug Novak and his team. You know, we're going to play three of the top four teams in the SEC here in the final few weeks of the season, Tennessee, LSU, and Ole Miss. And we've got other teams right there like, you know, Florida, Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi State right there together. You know, we're all kind of in that second grouping. So we got a chance, you know, and it's it's incredible to think about all the adversity this team has challenged with this year, but yet they're still fighting. And that's what I think our fans really respond to. We talked about that last year. You know, when we – there were some games when Nikki McCray-Pinson was a coach that, you know, we, we didn't play well. And a lot of it was about effort. Listen – we're Mississippi State folks. Okay, we understand we are not going to contend in every sport every year. We know that losing is part of the experience. We'll put up with losing to a certain extent. We won't put up with lack of effort. And I think that's what has allowed, you know, Doug Novak's team to really kind of capture uh, some some momentum from the, from the Bulldog fan base here in the last couple of day, games is because the effort in which they play in. Yeah, we went over to Alabama. We're shorthanded. We win the game there. We're shorthanded. We beat Vanderbilt. You know, it's like every game that we've won in the SEC, there has been some type of impediment, and we found a way to to overcome it. So I don't count the ladies out. I don't. And uh, I'm not one that just wants to play it close and just hope, you know, we get to the postseason. I mean, like all of you years ago, you know, if the women did anything, it's like, hey, it's a bonus. But, you know, Vic Schaefer had taught us that, hey, you know, we can make an emotional and financial and personal investment in women's basketball and find some success, and we did, and it was great. And I don't know if we ever recapture that. But I do think that we get back into a situation where we can consistently compete, you know, with the better teams in the SEC and make the NCAA tournament and have an opportunity to get to the Sweet 16 or beyond. I, I don't think that we have to go back to what we were you know, in the 70s and 80s. I don't think that there's any question. I think back in those days, in many respects, 
we just had a, a women's basketball team because we were forced to have one. We weren't really committed to it. Well, now that we've had a taste of what success feels like, we want to have that back. So, again, I think anything we get down the stretch is great, but I think this team is going to be – they're going to beat somebody they're not supposed to, and it's going to cause some shockwaves in the SEC uh, seedings, you know, for the SEC tournament. But all of a sudden, women's basketball is fun again. All of a sudden. It's not what it was, don't get me wrong, but all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, you know, last Monday I'd kind of given up on this team thinking we won't win a game the rest of the year, and now we're 2-0. and And again, it's a credit to the ladies that are still here and to this coaching staff. They're all working hard, trying to advance this program forward, and many of these people understand they're not going to be here next year. It's not that they're building towards anything. It's about it's a matter of pride. I'm involved with this, so I'm going to put my best foot forward. And so, again, uh, really commend the Mississippi State women's basketball program, the coaches and the players, and all you fans that turn out that uh, do such a great job making the hump a great atmosphere. And that's the thing that I think about when we look at what's left on the schedule. You know, you guys have got some opportunities to kind of turn out and yell really, really loud. You know, we had a good crowd on Sunday. Um, not what it once was by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, you got you got a chance to watch a big game next Thursday against Florida. Students, I'm looking at you. You guys are the lifeblood of Humphrey Coliseum. And then that Sunday we get Ole Miss coming in, and I, I suspect there will be a huge crowd there. They'll, they'll have some fans there too. But I know that our students are going to be less than hospitable, and we don't want to be classless by any stretch. But we don't want them to come in here and feel comfortable. And then uh, LSU comes in. That's going to be a big ball game. And then uh, Arkansas to close it out for senior day. And so some chances to really loud, get loud and get rowdy at Humphrey Coliseum remain. Hope that you guys will turn out and be a part of that. All right, it's time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a longtime friend of mine, big fan of his. Uh, and here's the thing, too. You know, I like to do business with good people. I like to do business with Bulldogs whenever I can. That's always kind of been my hope and plan. As I, you know, I want to, I want to keep it in the family as best we can. Uh, Blair is going to do that for you, too. Really, no matter who you root for, if you listen to the Boneyard, you're part of our family. And by listening to the Boneyard, you can get an appraisal paid for. How cool is that? Give Blair a call today or text on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Well, you, maybe you're looking to refinance your home. Maybe you're like, you know what, Steve, it's paycheck to paycheck time for us right now. You know, the quarantine nearly did us in. We're behind on this. and Don't panic. Give Blair a call. Don't be embarrassed. At some point, we all face some hostility and adversity in life, and there are things that happen beyond our control and if you're a homeowner, chances are you've got some equity built up that can kind of help you, you know, kind of lessen those monthly obligations. Maybe you can get some things paid off, get out of some high interest debt, and kind of get your equity working for you. You know, it's tax deductible too. All that money you write off the credit cards is not. You got to pay that. You don't get any benefit from it. Pay off those high interest debts by consolidating some debt with a refinance today. And maybe you're looking for the dream of home ownership. Maybe you've never had that. So you know what, Steve, I've been an apartment dweller my whole life. I'd love to have a home. I'd love to have a place to call my own. I'd love to have a place that I can leave to my children. Well, Blair can help you with that too. 
Visit clothesofblair.com today. All right, top ten list. This is one of mine. I kind of skipped around on the list. We're going to do a fan's choice list on a Friday. Already kind of got it picked out for Monday and Wednesday. Uh, today we're doing – there's a super group that kind of had formed in the late 80s that are not an 80s band. Now, some of the guys that are in, involved with this group were part of 80s bands. It was really – when this group got together, immediately there was a lot of interest. Like, well, wait a minute. So these guys are going to work together? I'm talking about Mr. Big. Say Mr. Big. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Big. Eric Martin had some success with the Eric Martin band. Eric Martin is probably one of the most underappreciated and probably least recognized singers of the late 80s, early 90s, and really all the way into the 2000s. This guy can really, really sing. He had some success as a solo artist you know, with the Eric Martin Band. Actually had a couple of songs on the Iron Eagle soundtrack. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Iron Eagle with uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Had a, a, a bit of a minor hit on the Teacher's soundtrack as well. So this guy was somewhat accomplished already. He had already had some major recording releases, and then he was recruited to join up with Paul Gilbert, who was from Racer X, who was – if you don't know Racer X – what are you really doing? If, like, if you were an 80s metal guy and you didn't know Racer X, give me a break. And also, too, Billy Sheehan from the David Lee Roth Band. At first, he was with a band called Talus. Then he joined the David Lee Roth Band. He was involved uh, with uh, Eat em and Smile. It's incredible. Yeah, he's a bass player on uh, Yankee Rose and, and a phenomenal bass player. And then uh, Paul Torpe, who was the guy that was basically a, a sessions guy you know, for many years, uh, Pat Torpe, excuse me, God rest his soul. Um, but Pat was kind of a studio guy, worked some on the Robert Plant, uh, Now and Zen album, did a lot of cool stuff, worked with a lot of big names. And so these guys get together and people are wondering, what's it going to sound like? Well, it doesn't have, it's not 80s, okay? As much as I love like the 80s West Hollywood scene, you know, Rat, Motley and all that stuff, Mr. Big is not an 80s band. They're, they're radio rock friendly. But there's not all this testosterone and these huge choruses and things like that. There's no pyrotechnics and things like that. These guys could really, really play. Uh, Billy Sheehan, I would submit to you, is one of the greatest bass players of this generation. Billy is incredible. Of course, he worked with Talos, David Lee Roth, Mr. Big, uh, with the Winery Dogs now, with Richie Kotzen and um, uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater fame, one of the best drummers of this generation. So these guys are accomplished musicians. They put together nine albums. Nine. Oh, you didn't know? That's right. Nine. And a lot of it happened. A lot of the later stuff happened. They've been on hiatus now for a few years. But, uh, you know, they broke up after a while. They reconnected because the fans just wanted to see more of them. And they're huge in Japan, which is incredible to me. There, there's so much American metal that uh, that really works well. You know, Marty Friedman, of course. Marty, of course, uh, you know, from Cacophony and from uh, Megadeth, lives over in Japan now. Because over there, it's, you know, he's like Elvis. But here are your top ten Mr. Big songs. Now, one of the songs you're not going to find on here is Wild World. Of course, that is the old Cat Stevens uh, cover. But they do a phenomenal version of the song. Or maybe it was Harry Chapin. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's a wild world. Ooh, baby, you know it's a wild world. I love the song. Uh, but yeah, it's cat. Uh, anyway, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, that's not on the list because it's not an original song. But I wanted to kind of mention that. Matter of fact, when my daughter Audrey got ready to go to college, I used to listen to that song, man. It used to really make me really emotional, you know, about her leaving leaving the nest. 
And at the time, she was planning to go to Southern Miss, you know, and it's like, you know, I was a college-age guy at one time, too. And you worry, man. I didn't worry as much about my oldest son going off to school. I was really happy for him. I worried a lot more when Audrey went off to school, you know. just I did. And, and I used to listen to that song, man. And sometimes I just you know, I'd get all misty-eyed plum thinking about it, you know, about her leaving home. And, you know, you don't want anything to happen. And, and you want them to get a good education and have a good experience. And so the song means a lot to me because of that. I always loved it. Uh, but it took on a different meaning when my oldest daughter got ready to leave the nest. All right, number 10 on the list. And this is actually a song that was recorded after the original lineup uh, reunited. You know, we talked about, you know, the fans wanted to see more and they wanted to put a tour together. And that's one thing that you'll know about the music business is once somebody feels like they can make some money, whether it be in merch or with music or with a tour, uh, they do it, especially those tours. Because you don't have studio time, you don't have to get in there and press albums or anything like that. You can just kind of, you know, put together 12 dates and sell out arenas and make a bunch of money without a lot of overhead. Um, but Undertow is a really good guitar song. And it uh, it's one of those deals, too, that it's kind of after the Mr. Big Wave, whatever that was. And a lot of people consider them a one-hit wonder. I don't. They had one huge hit on Top 40 Radio. But... Uh, this is a band that's got a much better catalog than perhaps they get credit for. And this is one of those songs, Undertow, off the What If album, the first album after the original lineup uh, reunited. Number nine, and if you don't listen to any song on here, like there's so many of these songs that maybe you're not as familiar with as I am. This is a beautiful song. This may be one of the most beautiful songs you've never heard. And it's called Going Where the Wind Blows. Uh, and it is kind of an acoustic, you know, torpay out there on the bongos and things like that. Um, it is a phenomenal song. And it's basically just kind of about life. You know, it's kind of figuring out some direction, that sort of stuff. But it's going where the wind blows. It's your number nine song on the Mr. Big list. Number eight, the only song on the list that doesn't feature Paul Gilbert on guitar. Paul Gilbert left. And then Richie Kotzen was hired. Richie, of course, uh, in Poison for a short time, was on the uh, the Native Son album. I guess that's what – I'm not a big Poison fan. It's Native Tongue or Native Son. It doesn't matter. It's Poison. Um, but Richie's a guy, too, that was an accomplished solo artist before all this, and he was kind of critically acclaimed. You know, the thing that Richie – Richie's issue's always been his songwriting. The guy can play phenomenally, and he's a great singer. But, you know, songwriting hadn't always been there. If you go back a few years, if you remember Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, Richie had a great song on the Bogus Journey soundtrack called Dream of a New Day. It's just great. But Richie was one of those guys, too. It's like, man, if we could just get this guy, he's such an accomplished musician, get him in the band. And chemistry-wise, it never seems to work out. You know, he and um, he and Poison, if you watch the Brett Michaels Poison documentary, they talk about, you know, Richie was on the road with them and, apparently had uh, a fling with Ricky Rocket's girlfriend. They threw him off the bus, threw his gear over the fence, and never saw the guy again. And now Richie, of course, has uh, you know, had a couple of good runs with Winery Dogs. Uh, but the song Shine, 8, the song Shine, is uh, your number 8 song today. And again, the only contribution from Richie Cotson on the list. And it's not that Richie didn't do a good job. I just don't think it just it didn't work as well. And every every band Richie's in, it's like it's a short-lived deal. Uh, number seven, off the Hey Man album, it's a song called Take Cover. And this, again, this is another great guitarist on Paul Gilbert, an incredible guitarist. And I love the opening riff on this. I think you'll dig that one a lot. 
So now we kind of get into the hits, and I say the hits, and I use that term kind of with Dr. Evil quotes, the hits. These are the songs that are most recognizable by true Mr. Big fans. Of course, there are a couple songs out there you've heard on the radio, and you're like, oh, well, I know that song. These are the ones, I think if you polled all the, all the Mr. Big fans in the world, especially those in Japan, this would be the top six. Number six, it's another one of these sad songs about breakup, but it's Just Take My Heart. Just Take My Heart As You Go. Uh, and I think Eric Martin's vocals on it are incredible. He has this raspy voice that uh, really works well over you know, the softer blend. He's a great balladeer. Uh, number five, and this is one, this is about kind of the beginning of a relationship. And it, it's kind of subtitled The Drill Song because the guitar solo involves a power drill. It is a, a phenomenal song. It, the live versions, as you can see on YouTube, are incredible. But it's daddy, brother, lover, little boy. It's like, I'll be everything to you, you know, lady. I will be everything. But your dad, your brother, your lover, your little boy, everything, every need, every need you got, I got it. Number four, and this was never a single. I'm just putting this in here because it's my show and my list. And I love this. This is off, um, I think it's the second album. I think it's leaning to it. I think this song, had it been released, would have been a big hit for them. And it's Alive and Kicking. Not the AHA version. It's the Mr. Big version. Alive and Kicking. And again, it's about a long-term relationship. It's like, hey, you know, we've been through all this adversity and been through all this, but here our love is Alive and Kicking. All right, number three, this is a very different song. I absolutely love it. It did get some radio airplay and um, you know, around the country. It's basically kind of a tribute to cinema in some respects in days going by, but it's called Green Tinted 60s Mind, and uh, I love that opening guitar little trick that Paul Gilbert does to open the song. But the harmonies on this are just infectious. I mean, when you hear this, you're going to think, I've heard this before, even if you hadn't, because it's got kind of got a familiar sound to it. I love the vocal on it. There's not anything about this song that I dislike. It's your number three song, Green Tinted 60s Mind. Number two, the one that got it all started, and it starts with Billy just tapping the neck on that bass guitar. I mean, just absolutely throwing down. And it was a great introduction to this new band, that was ultra, ultra talented. And they're, they're really more critically acclaimed in the United States than they are uh, best-selling. They have had some huge hits, obviously. But this is one of those songs that I thought really kind of laid down the hammer and says, you know what, Mr. Big is a band that's here, and this is not just some thrown-together project that we're hoping is going to work out. This thing is going to work. And the song is addicted to that rush. And again, it's about relationships. Well, I guess it's about... I don't know, maybe it's a short-term relationship, but I'm addicted to the rush every time we touch. You know, it's a great, great song. The bass is phenomenal. The guitar on it, outstanding. Eric Martin just absolutely nails the song. And again, if I go back to the entire catalog and I was like, okay, what's the one song you play to kind of introduce Mr. Big to rock fans? It's this one, Addicted to That Rush off the debut album, Mr. Big. But you got to know what number one is, right? You knew it when, as soon as I said, hey, we're doing top 10 Mr. Big, you knew what number one was going to be. It's to be with you. One of the greatest love songs of this generation. And if you're one of these young bucks, and I know many of you are listening to the show, and you don't know the song To Be With You by Mr. Big, uh, send it to your love interest today. Go ahead and grab it off iTunes or Spotify and send it to her and say, hey, I heard this song and I thought about you and I think it's great. 
And and if if something doesn't happen after that, she's not the one. This good. It's a magic song, man. It is. I love the song. Everybody loved the song. It went number one in like fifteen countries. It was everywhere, and it was right at the kind of the height of the unplugged craze. You know, and if MTV had known what they were doing, they'd had Mr. Big unplugged. Maybe they did, and I missed it because because what happened with the unplugged series, and we talked about that on the top ten. It's like we tried to get too hip with it. We tried to get too cute. Well, let me get my favorite bands and let me have them come do the stuff. Like, no, well, nobody listens to them. They never had a big hit. But, that, but all they need is to be, like, unplugged. No. You're wrong. And that's why the thing failed. In the beginning, it was fantastic. But we should have had Mr. Big do Unplugged because they did a lot of acoustic stuff. I mean, you look at what Tesla did with Five Man Acoustical Jam. Look at what they did for their career. It's incredible. And they were a phenomenal band prior to that. But the five-man acoustical jam took Tesla from head from opening band status to headliner status. And Mr. Big, I think something similar could have happened with them because I think it would have been a little more radio-friendly. I think that the deal with Mr. Big is it's not execution, it's exposure. This is a band that just simply needed to have uh, maybe perhaps a little better management. But it's interesting, too. They played in front of some huge crowds. They opened for Rush. They opened for Aerosmith. Uh, they sold out Wembley with Aerosmith. Phenomenal, phenomenal band. I think this is one of these bands, too. Like, if you pull up his first three or four albums and just hit play, you're going to find something that maybe you're unfamiliar with that you really like. So there you go. Mr. Big, top ten today. If you've got ideas for the top ten list, reach out let me know. Had a lot of good ideas as of late, too. A lot. But I took some artistic license today and went my own way. Hope you enjoyed the list. But, again, reach out let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR. And, of course, you can check up and keep up at Dogmatic. That's A-W, excuse me, A-D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C. I must misspelled it. Dog, Dogmatic67. That's Roy Samantes, Twitter and Spotify. And, of course, uh, Izzy Mandelbaum responds with the Apple Music list. And so uh, it's out there. Appreciate you guys support the top ten list. And, uh, again, if you have ideas, reach out, let us know, or let Roy know. Roy's the one that, like, if you, when you contact me, I send it to Roy. Not that I don't want to hear, hear about it, but uh, sometimes you get it directly to Roy or send it to both of us. We'll get it on the list for you. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. I love the folks at Campus Bookmart. You will, too. It's more like a relationship than it is just a place where you uh, pick up merchandise. These are great people doing a great job at a great price. Kathy Brown, Stan the Man, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody up there will treat you like family because in their mind, you are family. Got some sunny days ahead. Maybe you need that new M over S cap. No better place to buy it than campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's talk a little about men's basketball. Now, we got hammered by Texas Tech. We did. Their size on the perimeter really gave us some trouble. They were absolutely intent on forcing Iverson Mullen our left, and then when he entered the paint, they doubled and was making him give the ball up. He did force a few shots. Not the same Iverson that we've ordinarily seen. As they said on the broadcast, he's the head of the snake. And that's true. On the offensive end, 
He is the straw that stirs the bulldog drink. So let's take a look at kind of this game. And, uh, again, not a lot of redeeming value. Matter of fact, um, Ben Howen said he was just kind of burned the, uh, you know, the game tape. I mean, there's nothing you really learn except how maybe other teams are going to try and defense you. we got to find a way to execute. All right, so Texas Tech, it's a 76-50 loss. And to be honest with you, other than the first five minutes, it never really felt like we were in the ballgame. You know, we had a chance there towards the end of the first half to get it under 10, and we just simply couldn't get it done. 37-22 is your halftime score, and then they beat us 39-28 in the second half. I guess the thing that really bothered me down the stretch is it seemed like we had some quit in us. And, of course, you know, at some point there are some ball games that are endured rather than enjoyed, and this was one of them. Several, several uncontested dunks where they just got open looks and we weren't rotating over on defense, and that's supposed to be kind of our calling card as defense. We were just kind of powerless to stop them. And we talked a little bit about that on Friday, that this was not a good matchup for Mississippi State due to their size and length. And, and we their girth. I mean, these, these were guys that were very physical players. At times they got a little bit too physical and got called for some fouls that were unnecessary. But we got beat up. We did. They advanced to 13-0 at home, and, and there's a reason. Now, this is not a great Texas Tech team, but they're a really good team. Take nothing away from them. They have some great wins on the season. Got a lot of transfers, too. And people say, well, you know, all these transfers. We got a bunch of transfers, too. Their transfers are playing with a little bit better cohesion for us than we are. Now, Iverson Molinar, just 5 of 10 from the field, uh, missed his only three-point attempt and didn't get to the line much either, just two of three uh, from the free-throw line. That's one thing that helps us when we allow him to kind of, you know, operate. We isolate him and let him take people to the rim. And when he doesn't finish, he can still get to the line. He's such a prolific free-throw shooter. It's usually, usually two points for us. Twelve points on the night, just three rebounds. <clears throat> Two assists, five turnovers. There were some times he tried to do a little bit too much. Led the team in turnovers. And when Iverson Molinar is not having a big night, we're not having a big night. Uh, DJ Jeffries, we, we wanted him to be a little more aggressive. He was. There were some times, too, though, he forced the action. 30 minutes of action, 4 of 10 from the floor, knocked down 1-3, hit both free throws, pulled down three rebounds, and that's where I think that his game has got to elevate. we got to get more from him. On, on the glass, 11 points, picked up a couple of steals too. Garrison Brooks, I thought Garrison kind of disappeared. This is a more physical game. Uh, I thought that they, they brought the fight to him and he didn't respond exceptionally well. He is a very talented player. And I do think he misses Tolu Smith more than anybody else because he's having to rotate over at times at uh, the double there in the post. But um, they really kind of got to and they put the game in his chest for sure. Uh, three of eight from the floor, did knock down a three, one of two from beyond the arc, f- just four rebounds. That's the thing you look at, too, is like when you've got a guy that skilled and that, that level of athleticism and that size, you got to get more than four boards. Just a one personal foul, I don't like that either. I, you know, I'd like to see a more physical game from him, and that, that more times than not, that requires kind of getting in there and, and committing some personal fouls. Also committed four turnovers. And just seven points. Not a good name for Garrison Brooks. Not a good game at all. Going to need more from him. Uh, Shaquille Moore, 
fouled out of the ball game, played with some energy, but got in some foul trouble. And this is a guy, too, where, you know, with their length on the perimeter, it kind of takes away his ability to knock down those shots from outside. Just 19 minutes, just one basket from the floor. He has been that complimentary scorer for Iverson Molinar as of late. They completely shut down the backcourt, misses both three-point attempts, pulls down just one rebound, and commits four turnovers, one steal, two points. Not a good night for Shaquille Moore. It's like you look at this, Iverson Molinar off his average. Garrison Brooks didn't play well. Shaquille didn't play well. Cam Matthews did not score a basket. But I thought probably play with more energy than anybody on the floor wearing maroon and white. Uh, 28 minutes, didn't attempt a shot, pulled down two rebounds, did get four fouls, a couple turnovers as well, uh, three steals. But even though the game was over, he was out there playing with effort. He didn't quit. He didn't quit. Rocket Watts comes off the bench. It's good to see Rocket kind of getting into the flow of things. 20 minutes of action for him. And, of course, with Shaquille Moore being out, there was more opportunity for him. Uh, four of ten from the floor. It was one of five from three. A couple of those threes looked to be online, just a little bit long there. Knocked down his one free throw. Just one rebound. Also a couple turnovers and ten points on the night. Anderson Garcia continues to bring good energy. Very efficient in just 16 minutes of action. Knocked down both of his shots. One of those was a three. One of two from the line. He's got to be better at free throw shooting. If he's going to be on the floor late and we're going to need his energy on the defensive end, he's going to have to be better. Led the team with five rebounds, and that's again, that's a negative. You shouldn't have a guy like him leading the team in rebounds. And the, and the bigger issue is that five led the team and just six points for him. Uh, JV and Davis, and this is, again, a game where we need our bigs to kind of show up, and, and he didn't. Javian Davis, 16 minutes of action, missed his only shot, knocked down one free throw, one rebound, just the one personal foul, and then one point. No Tolu Smith, and you look at our post play, it was basically non-existent. Kim Carter comes in for a couple minutes, uh, made a free throw. Derek Fountain, six minutes of action, 0 of 2 from the floor. Both of those were threes. You know, there's just nothing you look at this ball game and say, hey, we did well. We didn't do anything well. 19 of 48 from the floor, 4 of 16 from three. We're not a great three-point shooting team. And in order to beat teams like Texas Tech, you've got to be able to work outside. We didn't. And just 50 points. You're not going to beat hardly anybody scoring 50 points. We shoot less than 40% from the floor, 25% from beyond the arc, and then 66% from the free throw line. Now, the other side of things, Texas Tech, they beat us up a little bit. Plus seven, rebounding, without a doubt. Shooting percentage, 61%, almost 62%. And a lot of those were in the post. You have 44 points in the paint. We had 16. That's a 28-point differential. That's the difference in the ballgame. They dominated the post. Now, if Tolu plays, I don't think we win the game, but I think that stat is probably more, more competitive. We had 11 points off turnovers. They had 24. And incredibly, they only had two second-chance points, and that's because they weren't missing much. And then 28 points off the bench, we get 18. And so, again, there's just there's nothing you look at here and say, you know what, hey, we played pretty well. We didn't. There's, there's nothing about this game you look at and say, we felt good about our effort. We, we didn't. We, I didn't think we played well. I didn't think we shot it well. We didn't defend well. We didn't rebound well. And I thought we quit. I really thought we quit in the second half. 
And sometimes you don't really quit. You get kind of beaten to submission, and that's kind of how this thing felt. And, and to give their crowd some credit, over 15,000 people in attendance created a very hostile environment there in the United Supermarkets Arena. And so, you know, hey, you tip your cap to them and you kind of move on. I said last week that my enthusiasm about Mississippi State men's basketball would not be diminished based on what happened last week because I feel like we were playing two teams that were better than us. And then we go play Kentucky as well as we did. And I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe. But I think that gave uh, Tennessee, gave Texas Tech some motivation. Any chances of us over them overlooking us uh, were removed. So let's look at what's left. I still think we can be a tournament team. But we're going to likely have to win some games we're not expected to win. If you look at how things lay right now, we're 13-7 and seven and 4-3 and three in the league. We've lost two in a row. Now, what's left? This next, honestly, I think the next five games are going to define the Mississippi State season and, in many respects, the Ben Howland era here at Mississippi State. Not a lot of gimmies in this group. So, Tuesday night, 6 p.m., Humphrey Coliseum. That's an ESPNU broadcast. We get South Carolina coming in. Now, South Carolina's kind of figured out some things here as of late. They're not a great team, but that's a game that we, we should be able to win. I think everybody would agree at home against a team like them that has been very much up and down, we should be able to get those guys. Uh, they're 4-4 four and four in a league and 13-7, and seven, so they're basically right there with us. It is one of these uh, kind of similarly situated games. When you look at what's happened to them as of late, they get your attention a little bit because, you know, Frank Martin's a good coach. You know, people forget that. He's not elite by any stretch, but uh, this is a guy that gets a lot out of his team. And here as of late, they've kind of figured some things out. They've won three in a row. They win at home against Georgia, 83-66, and everybody's beaten Georgia with the exception of Alabama. They get Vandy, 70-61, and then a big win. They go into College Station and beat the Aggies, 74-63. That's a tough place to play. They'll be here Tuesday. So that's not a gimme by any stretch, but it's a game I think we should win. Then we travel to Arkansas. They're currently ranked third in the SEC standings. They're five and three. One of those losses is to Mississippi State. Of course, they were without Note in that game. Fully expect him to be back. That's going to be a difficult undertaking for us. Take on the Arkansas team in Bud Walton Arena, and they should be, or they expect to be at full strength. That's a Saturday game. If I had to call it today, that's a loss. Then we get Tennessee coming in here on Wednesday, and we have played Tennessee pretty well at times. Again, they're kind of right there with us. Five and three, 14 and six. Overall, we get that game at home. That's one we got to get. We really got to get that game. I don't know that we can, but we got to get that one. We got to figure that one out because what's behind them is very difficult. We have a two-game road trip after that. We go to LSU that Saturday, which is February 12th. LSU right there with us, but they're a very talented team. We have not played really well in the PMAC as of late. But, uh, you know, we've gone down there and probably should have won some ball games and hadn't won them. And LSU, in some respects, kind of had our number. That's a tough stretch. And then we go to Coleman Coliseum at Alabama, and we have had some dreadful appearances over there at times. Uh, so we'll see how things progress. But, I mean, you know, you, you look at this group here and you say, hey, the next five games, you could you could go 0-5. And, and I think the best case for you is to go 2-3. and three. 
Maybe you win the two home games, South Carolina and Tennessee, and that neither of those are a guarantee. But we're about to earn it. This next five games is going to define the season. And then you get Mizzou two games in three days. We play at our place and we go up there. You'd say, well, we should do no worse than a split. We, we can't think that way. We've got to find a way to win both of those games. But if I had to call it today, I'd say it's a split. Then we go to South Carolina. We get Vanderbilt here. And we close out Auburn at our place and then at A&M. So there's not a lot of games you look out here and say, hey, State should be favored to win these games. You know, I don't want to sound negatively, but the reality of it is, is that we're going to play a lot of teams that are playing much better basketball than we are down the stretch. We mentioned South Carolina kind of similarly situated with us. They've won three in a row. We've lost two. They're going to come in here with some confidence thinking they get a vulnerable team. In a 6 p.m. tip, I hope we get a decent crowd. I think it's going to be important that our fans turn out and, and are a part of that. But, you know, I, I start counting wins here, and I don't find very many. I, I just don't. You know, if I, if, like, if I had to call it today, and I don't know if you've looked at the schedule, because I know, in, like, we all say, hey, we're a tournament team, we're a tournament team, we look at our talents, and we're a tournament team. Well, let's look at what we have left. Let's say you beat South Carolina, you lose to Arkansas. And I don't know that we can beat Tennessee, but let's say let's, let's, let's call the Tennessee a W. I don't see us winning in the PMAC or at Coleman. Let's say we split with Missouri. That gives you three. You got to go on the road and, and win at Columbia. That's a toss-up game, to say the least. But then you get Vanderbilt here. Let's count Vandy, which gives you four. And then you've got Auburn. I think most people would assume that's a loss. And then you've got a tough game coming at A&M. And so you start doing the math there, and you start thinking, okay, there's four wins there. So now we're talking 17. 17 wins – in the regular season, and 14 losses. So let's say you end up 8-10 and 10 in the league. 8-10 and 10 in the league, 17 dubs, that's not going to get you in a tournament. So we're going to have to find a way to beat somebody. And, 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 you know, hey, you sweep South Carolina, you beat Tennessee, you sweep Mizzou, you beat Vandy, it's a different deal. So the thing that I have learned about it's it's so difficult to project – Ben Howland basketball at Mississippi State, because how many times have we left this team dead and buried and they find a way to win? So on paper, you look at it and say this, this, this schedule is really challenging and the chances of you putting together a winning record in the league are pretty slim. And that's what makes that Florida game so big, the one that we, we lost. We should have won that game. They played really well as of late. But we get down to the nitty-gritty of this thing there are some winnable games, and there are some other games you look at and say, hey, it's going to be very, very difficult. Now, the plus side of that is, is we're going to play some teams that are in contention for the tournament. we got a chance to pick up some quad one wins. There's plenty of opportunity for us to increase our standing in the net. Now, do we drop out of the top 50 if things don't go well? Yeah, absolutely you do. But I, when I start counting these things, and I would say, hey, based on this schedule, if you find a way to get six – and get the 19 wins, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Maybe you have to go to the tournament and win one. At this point, though, I don't see, you know, are there six out there? But here's the uh, kind of the disclaimer in all of this, is you never know from one game to the next who's going to be available. You know, we've had some COVID issues. Other teams have had some COVID issues. You know, you may have some guys that get banged up. I mean, Castleton from Florida is still out. 
right? You know, Tate didn't play against us. And so you never know from one game to the next what each team's going to look like. But the opportunities are there for us to prove our tournament worthiness. But also, too, there are you know, some opportunities there for us, too, to, um, you know, to kind of put ourselves in the NIT. And I, I just don't know that that's going to be enough to, you know, to kind of avoid us making a coaching change. And people don't like saying that. People don't like, Steve, you know, I feel like you're so negative. I mean, I really haven't been. I've been very optimistic about this team this year. But, you know, we're going to have to earn it down the stretch. Are we capable of doing it? Yes, we are, especially if Tolu Smith comes back. And that's really the discussion today. We knew he was week to week. Told you last week on Monday not to expect him to play last week. He's going to be reevaluated, and then we'll see. Does that mean that he plays this week? You know, hopefully, but not before he's ready. And that's the thing you think about. C- can you beat South Carolina without Tolu Smith? I don't know that I'd want to challenge that because we've got to have that dub. We absolutely – we lose that ballgame Tuesday night. You know, it's got a chance to really run off the rails here pretty quick. That's one that I think everybody's looking at, even though they're playing better and feel like, you know what, at the very least, we're on par with them talent-wise, and we're at home. But we'll find out later today, here in the next day or two, if is going to be able to play. Uh, going to Bud Walton has been tough, but, you know, Ben Howland has uh, has gone in there and actually played pretty well at times uh, during his tenure here. And so I think this Arkansas team is probably a little more talented than us, and again, it's on the road. But we'll, you know, we'll kind of see how things progress. But I think, you know, we've got to do no worse than a split this week. If you get Tolu back and he's ready, that's the thing. You know he's not quite 100%. But you don't know how he's responded to rehabilitation since then either. If Tolu comes back and he's 75-80%, you might have a chance to win them both. And if you win them both this week, all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's some optimism. Now, all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, we've got a little juice here. Let's say you win two and you've got Tennessee coming in that Wednesday. That's an 8 p.m. tip. And all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, we've got a, we've got a real shot here. But, again, it's a, it's a long season, and you never know from one game to the next. So I am still optimistic that we're going to make the tournament because I really believe we're going to beat somebody we're not expecting to. I think Iverson Molinar is one of those guys, too, that is very much an alpha I think he's one of those guys that expects to win. And there are some times that he has played some of his best basketball on the road, as you saw against Kentucky last week. You just need the pieces around him to kind of step up. And, you know, again, I don't think you can ever judge a team by its best and worst performance. And we had our worst performance of the year against Texas Tech. I mean, Louisville got after us pretty good too. But I really thought, you know, at that point we were still kind of finding a sense of who we were. You know, we were just kind of getting some guys back in the lineup. And, uh, you know, Texas Tech beat us up. But I don't think we're nearly as bad as we played on Saturday. Are we as good as we played at Kentucky? I don't know if that's fair either. But I think that, you know, we're a team that's capable of going into your home arena and and beating you. But without Tolu Smith and against a team that's uh, had a lot of juice here as of late, we just couldn't get it done. And, again, basketball is about matchups. It absolutely is. I mean, you see it in the numbers. I mean, you see Shaquille Moore's numbers. You see it in Iverson Molinar's numbers. Their bigger guards shut our quicker, smaller guards down. And there are some other teams out there that are capable of doing that. And this Texas Tech team is probably a team, you know, that's on par with what you're going to see in, like, game two of an NCAA tournament. You may get a mid-major in game one, but you're going to see a team like Texas Tech. You're going to see, you know, one of those upper-tier power five teams that maybe perhaps, you know, isn't a top 
you know, two or three seed. But that, that's the caliber of team you're going to see. And we didn't handle it well. But, again, I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater just over the Texas Tech game. As bad as it was, and it was brutal watching the game, but there were times I looked at our kids and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I expect them to do. You know, I mean, you got a guy out there that's 6'6 six, six with a 6'8", you know, uh, reach. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to shoot over that guy, you know, if you're Shaquille Moore. You know, it is. And, and not only were they big, they were quick. They're a good team. And they exposed some of our deficiencies, and especially without Tolu Smith in there to kind of bang in the paint and get rebounds and putbacks. I mean, again, I don't know that we win the game even with him. I do think it's more competitive. So we got to get him back. And I know he wants to be back, and my hope is is that he gets a good report from the training staff today and is able to go against South Carolina because I, I really feel like, in many respects, that's a must-win for us. Is that a must-win to get us in a tournament? I don't know. I think it's a must-win to kind of keep that possibility alive. You know, you don't want to have to go to the SEC tournament needing to reach the finals uh, to make the tournament. And I think that's kind of what happens. If you lose that game, it, it begins to kind of trend in that direction. So, again, I'm not bailing on the Bulldogs, not bailing on the season, but we've got to have at least a split this week, I think, to put ourselves you know, in a position down the stretch. But I still hold on to the hope and the belief we are going to beat somebody we are not expected to beat. Is that Tennessee? Is that LSU on the road at their place? Is that A&M on the road at their place? South Carolina has proved it can be done. You know, that kind of remains to be seen. Quick look at the standings. And it's not great for a lot of teams, but there we are. As, as, as wild as it's gone, we're fifth in the SEC. Now, granted, we're four and three because we're short a game because they had to reschedule the Missouri game. But let's say we were four and four. You're right there in the meaty part of the pack. You're right there. There's a lot of parity in the league this year. And the good thing is, is all those teams around us, we get a chance to play them all. So you're going to settle it on the floor. But Auburn, of course, number one, 8-0 in the league, 20-1 overall. Kentucky, 6-2. And, and Kentucky in a situation now that they're going to have to have some help. And I don't know if you saw Bruce Pearl signed a lifetime contract over the weekend at Auburn, which, again, leads me to my line of thinking. We need to go out and get a gangster of our own if we make a coaching change. Uh, Kentucky six and two, seventeen and four. Arkansas five and three in the conference and sixteen and five overall. Right there with them, Tennessee five and three, fourteen and six. So again, a couple of the teams that are ahead of Mississippi State in the standings are coming up on the schedule. And then you've got that log jam there at four and four. LSU, A and M, Alabama, South Carolina. Everybody four and four in the league. And at this point, probably thinking, hey, we got a chance to figure this thing out. Florida three and five overall. I mean, three and five in the league and thirteen and eight. That's a game we got. That's a game I think we're going to look back and feel like we should have had, but we already feel that way. And of course, Vanderbilt just eleven and nine overall and three and five. Missouri two and five and eight and twelve. You got to find a way to get both of those games. If you've got to call it playing two games that close together, you know, because like you play them Friday, what you what worked on Friday probably not going to work on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Because they'll have Saturday to kind of adjust, take those things away. And we've gone up there and played in Missouri, too, and had some officiating go against us, too. we we, we got to get a clean game. But we're capable of winning both of those games. I don't think there's any question. Then there's Ole Miss, 2-6 and six and 11-10 and 10 overall. They had a you know, big win over the weekend. You know, I guess Kansas State it was. Not a great Kansas State team, but every win's big if you're Ole Miss. And uh, Georgia, of course, 1-7, and 6-15 and 15 overall. And that's the thing that I began to think about, too. We look at the coaching market, you know, is there going to be a lot of change in the SEC this year? Yeah, I don't know. 
does Ole Miss make a change? Yeah, I don't know. You can't be happy at two and six and eleven and ten. I mean, you won your Super Bowl, you beat Mississippi State and Oxford, but you know this is a team too that I think Kermit Davis is a good coach. And I don't think that Ole Miss is ultra talented, but I think they're a team that could you know wreck somebody's season down the stretch. We've already played them and split them, but you know they're a team. I think that. um, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, Jack and Hyde. I mean, one day you come out there and they can't miss, and the next time they can't throw it in the ocean. I think some of these teams in the middle should probably be wary of playing Kermit Davis with his back against the wall. I think that's a rather interesting dynamic. And so, again, you look at where we are today, can't complain too much, would have liked to have had a better week, but it's all still right there in front of us. It's all right in front of us. We've got to go out there and make some things happen. Got to win some games. All the games were expected to win. And then win one or two were probably not expected to win. Final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. You know Brooks Bryan. You've heard that name before? Of course you have. Former Diamond Dog that robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. How cool is that? I talked to Eric Dubos recently. You know, we lost that game against Alabama in Omaha. If, if we win that first game at Omaha against Bama, probably play for a NAFL championship that year. We were capable of winning the NAFL championship that year. We absolutely were. I mean, there's a bunch of those stories in our past where we're always like one win away. And isn't it great to know that we don't always have to live with that? We have a NAFL championship. And, of course, Brooks Bryan and all the former Bulldog players got uh, got a hat and a nice letter from Chris Simonis and John Cohen, kind of thanking them for their contributions to Mississippi State baseball. How cool is that? Brooks now trying to make Starkville and Mississippi State a better place, part of a great group of folks that have brought this wonderful residential development to Starkville. It's Portico. It's a great place. I've told you guys before, I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. The proximity to campus is unparalleled. 1.1 miles from campus, so I'm close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy. Turn off 82 on a 12, the very first right is Pat Station Road. You go through the stop sign, boom, there's Portico. Pretty cool place. You'll be glad you went by. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And here's the thing. Phase two, construction on that's getting rolling. You can pick out your lot, and you can pick out your house plans, and you can get your home built exactly how you, how you want it. That's a cool thing, too. That's a cool thing right there. Rather than having to kind of buy something that's not quite perfect and have to live with it, you can have some say Rather than, hey, I'm going to buy a home and one day we're going to do this. Because you know what happens. It's like there's all those things when you buy a home. It's like one day we're going to do this. One day never gets here. So why not have some new construction in your life at Portico? Give Brooks a call or text today. He'll give you more information at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so... In the time that we have left, I want to talk a little bit about National Signing Day. You know, so here, here is how it's kind of laid out for you right now. You know, we look at the commitment list and look at what we have kind of out there lingering. So currently ranked 25th in the country, we have uh, five current enrollees from the signing class. Those are guys that actually signed the National Letter of Intent. That's Jacarius Clayton. Out of Tupelo, Braden Locke, Percy Lewis, to Carlos Nicholson, Janoris Hobson. That doesn't mean that's all the newcomers you have because you got six scholarship transfers too. Stephen Lasoya, three-star offensive lineman from Middle Tennessee, Massimo Biscardi, 
Lou Groza uh, nominee is a kicker. Justin Robinson, of course, former four-star out of high school. It's incredible to me how much his ranking has dropped. Uh, I think that he's a guy that you'll look back one day and say this is a good get for Mississippi State. Jordan Mosley to transfer from Northwestern. We mentioned him earlier. Jackie Matthews actually increased his rating at the transfer. Marcus Banks went down. It's incredible how that all happens. Um, but, yeah, so you got six scholarship transfers to go with five other enrollees. you got 11 members of your 2022 signing class already on campus that will go through uh, spring practice and begin to kind of prepare. And you've got 13 players that signed that were officially announced as signees that haven't enrolled. They will be June enrollees. That's uh, four-star defensive lineman Trevion Williams recently got a boost in his ranking, currently a 92 on a 100-point scale. Nationally ranked as the number 187th player in the country regardless of position. Marquez Dorch, of course, out of uh, George County, a four-star wide receiver, former Ole Miss commitment. Javay Gilmore, a three-star out of Amite County, excuse me, Amite High School there in Louisiana. I really thought Javay would be a guy, based on his senior film, would get a better bump. He didn't. Khalid Moore is another guy that I think is undervalued. He's also an 88. Lucas Taylor is a guy that starred on the offensive line in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game for Alabama. Kind of pushed and shoved some of these highly touted interior defensive linemen around. Thought Lucas Taylor had a good all-star game. I think you guys – I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate how good a player he is. Uh, Don Terry Russell, of course, that's the younger brother, DeMonte Russell, a very good player in his own right. Got to get to weight room, but we like his length, like his it burst. Uh, Trent Singleton, spoke with him recently. Uh, Trent's a guy, too, that uh, is possibility of being valedictorian at his high school. How cool is that? Wesley Miller, Heritage Academy. A guy, too, people forget how many offers he had in the beginning. People were beginning to wonder if we were going to get him. Are we really going to lose a kid from Heritage Academy to Florida State or somewhere? didn't work out for them. We got him. Avery Sledge, linebacker out of Forest County AHS. You know, we talk at times about, you know, the Mississippi State football recruiting identity is built on players like Avery Sledge and Bernardrick McKinney and people like that. And I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to have the same career that BMAC did. But we get some of these guys from these rural areas that already know how to work. They know where the weight room is. They just have to kind of get into a college program and flourish, and I think that's what's going to happen with Avery. They didn't win a lot of games during his time at FCHS. This is a guy that can really play, though. This is a guy that looks good in a uniform. This is a guy that will absolutely get physical with you, and that is a, a big part of football, in case you didn't know. Uh, Aldavian Collins, of course, is, that's a guy when he committed, we wondered if we were going to be able to keep him because a lot of people were after him. And uh, give Darcel McBath a lot of credit. I think Aldavian, I, I'm not as high on Aldavian Collins, perhaps, as Paul is. I don't know that he's six foot. I think he's a little bit shorter than that. But um, he has good length, and he has a good athleticism, and I think he is a good developmental guy. I don't think he's a guy that hits the field probably for a couple years. And, and thankfully, he won't have to because you got DeCarlos Nicholson and Marcus Banks on campus. But I think that's a guy, too, that you can watch down the stretch. Say, this is a guy here that will come in. We don't have to rush him along. We can kind of let him go and, and uh, develop at his own rate. And of course, Calvin Dinkins, I think, is outstanding. I think this is a great get. We talked about the R.J. Moss stuff the other day. This is your R.J. Moss guy right here, in my opinion. You know, State gets involved with Calvin Dinkins late, and people thought, well, you know, that's probably because things are going south with Jaheim Otis. We never expected Jaheim. We hoped for Jaheim. We didn't expect him. 
And I think Calvin Dinkins, because of what he did down the stretch and the season that he had and the fact that, um, you know, we didn't have any doubts about his ability to qualify, I think you take him and then you hope for the best with Moss. But I think there is a connection there uh, between those two recruitments. And Jackson LaHue, this may be the most undervalued prospect in the class. And that's saying a lot because I think Calvin Dinkins, Avery Sledge are way undervalued. But Jackson LaHue, I think, may be the most undervalued. When you watch his film, and you should, you're going to be blown away about how physical and vicious this guy is. Talked to him last week. He is absolutely a Mississippi State guy. Kind of fits who we are. Big, physical, nasty, unapologetic offensive lineman. He's a guy that takes a lot of pride and pancaking guys and kind of plowing them in the ground. And then there's Jackson Cannon, a guy that fell in love with the Mississippi State campus. He came with a buddy uh, back in 2020 on like a recruiting visit and just came and checked it out. And he told, went home and told his dad, if they offer me, that's where I'm going to go. And then lo and behold, he gets the offer and then never wavered. And this is a guy, too, that could do a lot of things for us. But, again, you're seeing this offensive line, you know, metrics, you know, for the, the size and length of our offensive line continue to grow. Jackson Cannon's a part of that. Now, we currently have three commitments that have not been announced as signees. Two of those would be announced. That's Xavier Thomas and Caden Pope. Both of those guys wanted to be part of a signing day ceremony on Wednesday with their friends. Now, of course, everybody knows where those guys are heading. Dakota Jordan is a guy, too, that's been committed to Mississippi State. And he, we have not done an in-home visit with him or brought him in for an official visit which preserves the ability to have him as a blue shirt. Now, we mentioned earlier about Jameer Calvin. So how it breaks down basically is if Jordan signs prior to fall camp, he'll count in 2022. If he signs post-fall camp or in fall camp, then we can count him towards 2023. Now, we talked about that last year. You know, we were going to blue shirt Hargrove and Hardrick. We were going to continue to mine the portal, and then we didn't find what we wanted in the portal, so we went ahead and signed them, which was great. And then Jameer Calvin, of course, was, uh, was signed there in August. And so, but it gave you the ability to do that. And so State still got a couple spots left. Now, if you're looking for a potential addition on Wednesday, you know, we, we recruit Kamari Terrell. He committed to Oregon on Friday. Expect that to stick. I mean, we were working hard, and that's the thing that I heard you know, from Kamari's people is that Mississippi State was recruiting him as hard as anybody. Uh, but he's been to Oregon. He really liked Oregon. He's committed to Oregon. Don't expect that to change. I mean, it's always a possibility. We're not expecting it, though. Uh, the one guy that we are kind of keeping in our ears to the ground on is A.J. Allen. A.J. Allen, of course, uh, going to announce on Wednesday, and he had previously committed to TCU, didn't sign with them in December, and then Zach Evans, of course, hits a transfer portal, and he was the guy that was they were expecting a big future from uh, TCU, he, and he's at Ole Miss now. Well, Zach Evans is now gone, and so TCU has kind of redoubled their efforts and said, hey, now you're going to have a chance to play early here. So he's had some second thoughts, but he still hadn't finalized things. Nebraska, of course, in the mix. I get the sense, though, that Nebraska – is probably running third. And, again, that, that could be completely just, you know, smoke, you know, from the kid and people around him. I think it's down to TCU and Mississippi State. We won't know until Wednesday he's going to announce. Uh, 
Uh, do you take him? You absolutely do. And I think that he is a guy that it could be a very prolific weapon in this offense. What does that mean for Dakota Jordan? Well, we've talked to Dakota about playing wide receiver. He's a guy that can play running back. He's very, very talented. Uh, I think A.J. Allen is more of a true running back. Really, And really more in the Woody Marks mold, in my opinion. I think this is a guy, too, that's really going to blossom in the weight room. I think he's a lot like Woody. He's a guy that can catch it 10, 15 times a game and then make people miss. You know, basically, you know, we use our running backs as kind of wide receivers, you know. Um, so I think A.J. Allen is kind of more in that mold. I don't know that he's quite as thick as Woody, but I think he has the same skill set. Could you pick him up Wednesday? You absolutely could. Am I expecting him? No, I'm not. But I do think it's too close to call at this point. So we'll kind of see how things progress. But outside of that, uh, anything else, you know, that's a new addition would kind of come out of left field. You know, of course, we're – you know, there's, you know, Terrell, I mean, you're not going to give up this close to signing day, even though he's committed to Oregon. And I think we all expect him to follow through and sign with Oregon. But, you know, you never know. Maybe at the last minute, somebody in the family comes in and says, hey, that's a lot farther from home. You know, he might as well be going to war. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, when you live that far away, you know, from your home base uh, there in Shoemaker, Texas, that is a long way from home. But again, I don't know the kid's circumstances, and maybe that's what he wants. I know when LaMichael James signed with Oregon out of Texas, had a chance to interview him a handful of times. He wanted to get as far away from Texas as he possibly could. He would have, I think he would have gone to Russia if he'd had the chance. I mean, he just, this is a guy at times that didn't have, you know, running water or lights at times, and he just wanted to get away from all of that and start his life over. Went to Oregon, had a great career. I'm not suggesting that that's Kamari Terrell's situation, but there are some people that that's what they want to do. I just want to get somewhere new and start over kind of reinvent myself, get a fresh start, and maybe that's the thought, of the thought process. Maybe he wants to get away from Texas. You know, who knows? Um, but, no, I don't expect to get both of those guys. I mean, I think Terrell will stick with Oregon, and, and hopefully uh, Eric Mealy can work some magic late and get A.J. Allen. I think that's a, a part of it, too. And, and I think once we get through, you know, signing day, of course, we'll have, um, you know, we'll have these, uh, you know, these coaching responsibilities announced. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing, too. I think you get through signing day. You focus on what matters most right now. That's getting through signing day. And then this week, I think we'll get the announcement on the, the coaching assignments. And I think we'll kind of begin to move forward and kind of get into spring practice. And uh, remind you guys, too, we'll have uh, baseball media day Tuesday. So we'll have a lot of coverage on that kind of preview in the season. And, you know, we're, we're almost there. You know, we're just really a couple weekends away from playing baseball at Duty Noble Field. And it does feel like it's been a long time. You know, we talked about that going into football season. We almost felt guilty about thinking about football because we were still celebrating the College World Series. But now it's time to go again. February 19th, Long Beach State. It's going to be a great time. Come out and be a part of that. And, of course, uh, you, know, you guys need to kind of be, begin thinking about that. This is, uh, this is a great team that we've got. You know, we've got some reports on the recent fall scrimmages. Gene Swindoll, Mike Nemeth covered those. Uh, Landon Sims, really good over the weekend. Uh, Walling, good over the weekend. Uh, Jack Walker, kind of up and down. Had a good weekend last weekend. Not so good this weekend. You expect that from freshmen. There's going to be some up and down. But we're swinging the bats pretty well. You know, uh, Preston Johnson didn't have a great outing on Saturday. Fristo actually looked pretty good. You know, so we're figuring some things out. And uh, we've got some options. That's what great teams do. Great teams have numbers and you have options. So you don't have to keep riding maybe, you know, a maimed horse for a while. You know, maybe if you've got a guy that needs to kind of go on the shelf for a while, you can do that. Uh, 
And that's the thing I think Scott Foxhall did a wonderful job last year, you know, kind of managing the pitching staff. And I've got no doubt that he'll have the solution again this year, you know. So uh, eager to see what Landon Sims does as the Friday night guy. Completely different dynamic, you know, when, you know, you're thinking six outs, you're thinking, you know, six innings. Completely different way to pace yourself. So eager to see how that goes, and we'll have more baseball stuff for you on Wednesday. Looking forward to, to getting out there talking with the guys, man, having the media day on Tuesday. And then uh, next thing you know, man, we'll be getting ready to play a little baseball. But uh, right now, a lot of basketball stuff and a very important stretch as Mississippi State gets into February basketball on both the men's and the women's side. And, again, I encourage you. I know that it's easy to get negative. I know that it is because we want so much for things to go well. Let's not bail on the men's team just yet. And we certainly – there were a lot of people ready to bail on the women last week, and they're like, hey, we're still here. We're still fighting for you. We're still fighting for our team. What's to say we don't get a similar effort on the men's side? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, hey – we. These guys are competitors, and they got embarrassed on Saturday. And I suspect they're going to come out Tuesday for blood. And, again, th- this could be a week that really kind of changes the trajectory of the season in many respects. You find a way to win these next two, it's a completely different feeling down the stretch. We need those things to happen. But that's it for today. And if you're looking for, uh, for books, you can find them. You can still order Dogpile. And uh, they tell me we're about a week away from the books being delivered to the publisher or shipping to the publisher. And then I'll sit down and sign those books. And uh, it's going to be a busy, busy spring for me. I can't wait. I appreciate everybody's patience. If I could have done anything and change this, I would have. But uh, you can still order Dogpile at dogpilethebook.com. And while you're there, pick up copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And Blooms of Oleander are available pretty much everywhere. You can go through uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, or your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear available at StarkVillains.com. Get your T-shirts, get your hoodies. Uh, you know, rep the brand. We appreciate that. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.